there is a, uh, there's a story about a man, and in that time of life we sometimes refer to as, as middle age or, or midlife, he, uh, he and his wife had, uh, had two daughters. They had uh, both graduated from college and were out on their own. They were uh, in that empty nest, new to that empty nest stage of life. And they, they'd started to talk about downsizing and saving some money and doing, like, traveling, just spending time together. One day, the man's wife, she went on a, on a couple-day business trip. And, and uh, when she came back, uh, her husband was very excited uh, took her right downstairs to show her the movie theater that he had built in the basement. And we're talking, right, giant screen that covered the entire wall, all of the best technology. And she said, how much? And he said, I, it was like, it was all on sale, nine or $10,000. <laughs> Complete, no less, with a VCR to play his favorite 80s movies. A quick aside, this is not a true story about somebody at Clay, so don't look around thinking you can blame somebody here. When the man's wife confronted him, he was ready. He knew that she was faithful. She went to church every Sunday. She was always praying. And so when she asked him about, like, what were you thinking, he said, you know what? I have been praying and praying. And God's voice said that if we had a movie theater, we would experience some incredible joy in our family. Well... She wasn't too excited, but she didn't say anything and just hoped that maybe this was a phase he was going through and it would pass. For a couple of weeks, he was gone every night. He was down in the basement plugging in his 80s movies, and then all of a sudden, he stopped. She figured, well, maybe he ran out of 80s movies. A couple more weeks passed. She was at work. She came home one evening, and sitting there in the driveway was this bright red BMW convertible with every, everything you could imagine on it. She, uh, she went in the house and asked, what is this? Hoping like maybe somebody was visiting but knowing the truth. And well, her husband said, I, uh, I've been praying again. And God's voice said that it was time that I had that car that I always wanted. So I bought it today. And she said, did God say it should be the most expensive one you could find? But she didn't say anything else. He drove it every evening for two weeks. There was some beautiful weather. And then it rained for a few days. And so it got parked in the garage. And then it just sat there for a month. But a month later, the wife came home one day after work. And parked in the driveway was a brand new speedboat on a brand new trailer. What on earth, she thought. We haven't been boating more than twice in ten years. Sure enough, she walked inside and her husband was ready with his answer. I've been praying and praying and praying. And God's voice said, we'd all be happier if I had a boat. So I went out and I bought a boat. This time the wife said nothing. Another month passed and, uh, and this time the, the husband had to go out of town for a, a four-day work trip during the week. And he came home on Friday afternoon. He was excited to, to get home. But when he, when he drove in, he immediately noticed that the boat and trailer were no longer parked in the driveway. So he drove up and he pushed the button and the garage door went up and the convertible was no longer in the garage. Instead, there were boxes everywhere. He walked inside, didn't find his wife, and so he walked downstairs and everything there had been packed up and the movie theater was gone. 
Until then, he went upstairs where there were more boxes. There were guys in like moving outfits, picking up the boxes and carrying them downstairs. And then there was his wife. And he said, what is happening? And she said, well, I've been praying and praying and praying. And God's voice said that if we could afford a movie theater and a convertible and a new boat, then if we sold them all and downsized, we'd have the money that we always wanted to travel and spend more time together. So I followed God's voice. God's voice. Have you heard it? One of the questions I feel the most as a, as a pastor is, how do I know God's will? Like, how do I know God's voice? And it comes sometimes in different forms. How do I know God's will? How do I, how do I make this decision? How do I know what God wants? Sometimes people will be like, like how, do I, how do I know if this nudge that I'm getting, this sense that I have, how do I know if that's God's voice or if that's just something I want and, and my own voice? Like, how do I distinguish between the two? Usually the one asking the question doesn't realize this, but ultimately that's a question about prayer. It's a question about our prayer life and how we come to know God's will for our lives. This month at Clay Church, we're asking questions about prayer, and we're digging into the Bible to, to find answers to some of those questions. And so this is a good one for today. How do I, how do I know God's voice in my life? How do I distinguish God's voice from all those other voices that compete for my my attention and my allegiance. And uh, I think we're going to find some help in a Bible story that uh, you might not think of as a, as a ground for prayer. So let's pray and, and then dig in. Would you pray with me? God of grace and wisdom, just in these moments today as we explore your word, just Lord, widen our vision to see what you can see. And open our minds to better understand your word and your way. And Lord, just break open and fill our hearts with your love and, and your grace and call us again to share your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How can I know God's voice? Let me ask a couple questions as we get ready to search, search scriptures for, for this question. Um, have any of you ever had God's voice speak to you out of a burning bush? Just raise your hand. Anybody? God's voice out of a burning bush. Okay, how about this one? Anyone ever had a talking, walking snake come up to you and speak? Just checking in. Okay, I just wanted to know before I went on if anyone here was more of an expert than me, and so uh, looks like looks like we're good there. Um, how do we know if it's God's voice? Because the Bible, the Bible encourages us to listen and to hear God's voice in our lives, right? To find God's will for us. So it becomes an important question. We see it in, in King Solomon. King Solomon is is one of the heroes. Of, of the Bible, of, of the faith. And one of the things we know about him, one of the reasons he is held up as a, as a model of faith is because he asked God for a discerning heart. 
He asked God for a way to know God's voice. And you know what happened when he asked? This is what it says in 1 Kings 3.12. I will do what you have asked, God says. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. So did you just, do we just ask for a discerning heart? God, I'd like one of those, please. Right? Paul, in his letter to the Romans, picks up this theme as well. He says this, Romans 12, 2, a, a verse some of you may know. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? Some of you may know this verse by heart about standing apart as, as followers of Jesus. But it's easy to get, get caught there and not think about what the rest of that verse says because it gives us a clue about how do we do that how do, we, how do we follow God's will? How do we get renewed? Well, it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We need to be able to test and approve. And right, that, that word test, it implies something. It, it implies that some of the voices will not show us God's will. They will fail to pass this test. But some, some voices in our lives We'll pass that test and we'll speak God's will and way into our lives. But I know from sitting with people and trying to discern what God is doing in our, in our lives, right, this is not easy work. This is not easy work. How many of you have ever had a moment where you just wish you had that burning bush? Like, God, right now, I don't know what direction to go. If you could just, like, have a little bush burning in my front yard and the voice of Morgan Freeman or James Earl Jones or whatever voice of God you like, if that could just speak and tell me what to do, that would be really helpful. Anybody have a, a moment like that? Or you think, man, if, if God, there's this story in the Bible, I don't know a lot about it, but you wrote on a wall for somebody. Could you write on a wall for me? Just like spell it out in, in really clear instructions. By the way, you don't want writing on a wall. It's spelled out that the king was going to die. So just don't go for the wall option if you have one. Right? We'd love to have God's will be made super clear and known to us and in one of those ways. But in most of our experiences, it hasn't. It hasn't worked that way, has it? And I, I sometimes wonder if, right, Moses and Abraham, these, these heroes of the Old Testament, they, they heard God's voice, but I wonder if they knew it in the moment. Like, I, I have to think they too struggled. Like, is this really God's voice that's calling me to do this? Like, they had to have wrestled like, like we wrestle. And what distinguishes them as, as anchors of faith as parents of our faith tradition, is that they, they discerned God's voice from among the others around them, which takes us back to this question, how do, we, how do we discern God's voice from our own voice? And to think about that question, um, we're going to look at a story that you may know. Let me set the stage. We're going to look at Genesis. Um, Genesis chapter 1, God create. God has created all that is. And then in Genesis chapter 2, we, we kind of get a, a different version of this story. And, and God creates all there is and Adam and Eve and, and puts them in the garden and, and tells Adam that, that they should not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? And just a, a quick aside here. 
Like, who names a tree the tree of knowledge of good and evil? There's pine trees and oak trees and ash trees and then the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Like, how does that happen? And let me just give you a little clue. When you see something like that in the Bible, dig in. Because if there's something that you're like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, probably the Bible is trying to tell you something. God is trying to tell you something in that story. So back to the story, right? God uh, gives Adam a suitable helper in Eve, and they are living together in paradise for just a few lines until we get to chapter 3. And then we read this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And we're going to hit the pause button here again because we got to ask this question, do snakes talk? None of you had ever encountered a talking snake, right? This is the first of so many questions. My friend, uh, my friend Chloe uh, in fifth grade and at FaithWorks, she was up here with me about a month ago. We did a sermon about faith and doubt. We had a, a conversation together. Some of you may have, may have been here that day. And, and this was one of her questions of faith. She's like, so what language did the snake speak? <laughs> Somebody this week said parcel tongue for you Harry Potter fans. <laughs> but then you got to ask, so how did Adam and Eve know that language? I, I don't know. Right? But here is, a, here is a talking snake, which means we ought to sit up and, and pay attention. And then later in the story, we're going to find out that the curse on that snake for deceiving Eve is to slither along the ground, which would mean that before this, it was on feet. What is this creature in the story? We keep going. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Pause here one more time. We need to ask a question. Is the snake really trying to trick Eve? Or is the snake telling Eve the real truth? Because they will eat of the fruit and they won't die, at least not in that moment. So let's keep reading. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit of the tree and ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? 
The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Just a quick aside here. Do you notice what the man does? Yeah, so the question he was asked is, I heard you, or um, who told you that you were naked? And then, have you not eaten, have you eaten from the tree? That was the question. He didn't answer the question, and he said, instead he goes, she made me do it. <laughs> not cool. Just, let's, let's just get that out there. That's another sermon for another day, but, but Rabbi David Foreman has this book. It's called um, The Beast That Crouches at the Door, and, and what I'm about to share comes from rabbinic teaching that he pulls together in that book. And if you want to deep dive into this story, the book is masterful and brilliant and wonderful. I, I highly recommend it. Um, but one of the things Rabbi Foreman says is that the snake is a creature. The story is, is very clear that it's a different kind of creature um, because it, it walks and talks and thinks and speaks, but it's still a wild animal. It's still a creature. It says that in the very first verse. And so he says, one way to thus understand what the, what the question the serpent poses to Eve is, is to think of it, the serpent saying this, God said to avoid the tree. You and I both know that, right? But do you want to eat from it? Like, don't you really want to eat from it? Do you desire it? Because if you desire the fruit, of that tree, then isn't desire also a gift from God? Right? The snake is speaking out of, out of what it knows as a beast, as a creature. And is essentially, Rabbi Foreman says, then posing a question to Eve and, and by relation, Adam and Eve. Are you a human being or are you a beast? As a human being, right, we have been gifted from God the ability to say when enough is enough. We've been gifted with the ability to take a Sabbath, even from our desires. We've been gifted with the ability to take our desires and point them at what is good or point them at God. But the beast, the beast just lives by passion and instincts and desires, it's it's how the beast is, is created. It's how God made them. The, the snake can't help but act on its desires. So the question becomes, will we rise above our desires or will we let our desires define us? In Genesis 3, 6, we see this play out in this, in this verse, right? So the, the serpent shows Eve or introduces Eve to this idea of God gave you this desire. And then Eve, as she is repeating back what she sees in the tree, it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, desirous as something to eat, and pleasing to the eye, desirous as a, as a thing of beauty, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, desire to, to have this this knowledge, she took some and ate it. Suddenly she was defined not by how God made her in God's image, knowing when to say enough. She was defined by that desire for more. 
good, pleasing, desirable. Once the snake points it out, Eve can't resist. And before we think that this is just a story of, of original sin, we may want to pause and, and ask ourselves, where do our desires lead? Our desires to eat, to, to drink, to procreate, to, to experience joy and, and have fun, these are, these are gifts from God, right? They're, they're part of how God created us. And yet, do we not also find temptation in some of those same desires? Do we not also sometimes let those desires define who we are? Desires for prestige, desire for money, desires for comfort, right? God wants me to be comfortable, even if my neighbors aren't. God wants me to be comfortable. Desires for sex, for, for food, for, for more. Are we really so different from Adam and Eve? Sometimes when we think about following Jesus, I think we, we will sometimes get this vision in our heads. You've probably seen some version of this, right? The, the angel on one shoulder whispering good things and what we should do, and the, the devil on the other side tempting us. I wonder, however, if this image is in some ways a little bit too simplistic. And certainly there are other voices and voices of evil that, that can tempt us, but but I wonder, that the truth is, the temptations we face aren't always so clear-cut, right? And the voice speaking for us to live out our desires, often it's our own voice. You see, this is sin. It's a lot easier just to... to um, point to a list in the Bible and say, these things are sin, and, and then if it's not in this list, these things aren't sin, right? And, and it's really easy then to go, well, I'm not doing anything on that list, so those people are sinful that are doing that, and, and we're, we're not sinful because we're not doing that thing, or I'm not doing that thing. But sin is more than just actions on a list. Sin is letting other voices or even our own voice, crowd out the voice of God in our lives. And I want to invite us to sort of sit with this idea for a minute, because I, I, think, I think sometimes we teach something different about sin. Um, sin is letting the voices of the world, or even our own voice, crowd out the voice of God in our lives. Sin is justifying a little more money, hoarding a little more money, a little more resources so we can be comfortable regardless of what is going on with our neighbors. Sin is telling a little lie because, well, God, wouldn't it be better if I just told a little lie because that way, you know, nobody else gets hurt. We don't have to, we don't have to worry about this as opposed to facing the truth. Sin is putting in a few more hours of, of work, ignoring family and community because that, that promotion or that thing at work just seems so important 
in the moment. Sin is letting the voices of the world and the voices of our own desires crowd out the voice of God in our lives. And if we're honest, we're all tempted. We're all invited to face our own sinfulness. But we gather here because we know there's good news. We know that this is not how God created us. God created us good. God created us with the ability to shape our desires. God, after the garden, took care of Adam and Eve and the people and raised the people again. Whenever they forget that God is is with them or in their presence, he raises up leaders to remind them, and he gives them in the Old Testament, he gives them the Torah. The Torah is the teaching, and we think of it as laws, but ultimately what the Torah is about is it's about shaping the desires of the people that their desires might point to God to having God in their lives and in their community and in their midst. And then, and then when the people of God begin to even make the Torah an idol, right? This is the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They begin to make the law about their own holiness. Look at me, how holy I am. They begin to make it about the empire and and protecting their power within this new empire. And as they do that, then God sends Jesus to again point us, to point our desires to the way to know God's love and grace in our world. So how do we distinguish God's voice from our voice? With the word of the Torah and the way of Jesus. We've been talking all month about prayer, and if if prayer is is conversation with God, just as we'd have conversation with our best friend. If, if prayer is, is you know, asking God to, to speak into our lives and give us guidance and, and wisdom and to, to help us and to, to, to seek a, a deeper relationship, then when we listen, we will certainly hear some of God's word for us. But our voice is also always in there. And so we discover God's voice by letting the word of God direct the desires of the spirit within us. We discover God's voice for our lives when we, when we just pause and, and let God's word speak through scripture and through the way of Jesus. I want to just give you four questions that you can take with you today. You can Snap a picture of these if you want to take them, take them with. We'll be sending, I'll be sending them out uh, this week to you as well. Four questions that can help us discern, discern God's voice in our lives. Question number one, is this consistent with what the Bible teaches? Is this action, this decision, this moment in my life, is this consistent with what the Bible teaches? Question two, Does this decision, does this action, does it serve God's purposes or does it serve mine? Now, sometimes it'll serve both, but not always. And the first question is, does this serve God's will, God's way? Question three, what would spiritual friends or guides say about this action, decision, or thought? What what would my church family say about this? And if if you're making a, a decision, this is a great 
it's a great question. Like, what, what would my best spiritual friends say about this decision that I'm about to make? And if you're not sure, call them up and ask, or call your pastor and ask, and, and, uh, and discern the answer. And question number four, does this action, desire, or thought expand God's love? Is what I'm about to do, is what I'm about to say, is it going to expand, is it going to put more of God's love out there? Because if it's not, then maybe I ought to check and see if my own voice is in this. Four questions that you can ask. This week I was trying to think of, of a real life example, and I don't know why this, this story just popped into, my, popped into my head. When I had my call to ministry, um, I was uh, headed to Duke University to go to seminary, and the senior pastor at the church where I was attending and, and volunteering at the time in Indianapolis asked if instead of going to Duke, I would stay there and take the position of director of youth ministries and then just do my seminary work locally at a Christian theological seminary in Indianapolis. And I said, thanks for the offer. I appreciate it. Um, I'm flattered by it. But uh, uh, I have dreamed. I was dreamed my whole life of going to Duke. I was accepted there as an undergraduate but turned it down because I didn't know how to pay for it. Um, I am, I'm going to seminary at Duke. And uh, he said, just pray about it. And I did. And I did. And over the next, over the next couple of weeks, um, these things just started happening. God's voice was speaking to me, or, or was it? I couldn't determine. I was at the grocery store in line, and a, and a parent came up to me, and uh, she said, you have to take the position, because my son just loves that you are involved in, in youth ministry, and if they bring somebody from the outside, I don't know if he'll keep going, and, and you just need to say yes. And I said, God's voice says I should stay, and then I thought, wait, I'm just flattered by this. Like, this is my voice being really proud in the moment. And then a couple weeks later, I, um, I was sitting with the team doing the search because I was sure I wasn't going to take this position. I was sitting with the team doing the search and they were talking about the gift set that was going to be needed. And, and I heard them talking about what they were looking for in a new leader. And I'm like, oh, I can do that. Oh, I, yeah, that, I, I enjoy doing that. And and there I was again going, is this God speaking to me or is this, you know, my ego? Because my ego at this moment is feeling pretty big. How do I know? Fast forward another week or two, and I uh, was out to dinner with my then girlfriend. We knew we were going to get married, but I hadn't proposed yet. And uh, so Cheryl and I were at Basbo's Pizza in Broad Ripple. This is how clearly I remember this. We're at Basbo's Pizza in Broad Ripple. And right, I've had these experiences, and I'm starting to think, okay, maybe God is calling me to stay, but how do I know? And, uh, and so I decided it was time, I'm, I'm seriously thinking about this, it's time to broach this subject with the love of my life. And so we're at pizza, I think we're about halfway through the meal, I just remembered there was already pizza on the table, you'll understand why in a minute. And, um, and we're eating, and I just kind of said, you know, I am, I'm thinking I might stay here and take the position, and she was livid, like scary livid, like there was pizza on the table, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen to it, livid, like she was angry, really angry in the moment, and it was actually in that moment that I knew that it was God's voice calling me to take the position in youth ministry in Indianapolis. And it's because in that moment, I had such this just incredible sense of peace. 
with that direction, even knowing that, that Cheryl was incredibly unhappy. By the way, I can share this story now. She's given me permission because we've been married for 20 years. So uh, it all worked out well. But right in that moment, I was not going to lose her. I would do everything I could not to lose her. But at the same time, I just knew. And what I realize now looking back, I didn't know it then. I didn't have the four questions then. But I'd been working through the four questions right? I'd been talking to spiritual mentors. I'd been asking what was best for the church and not necessarily best for me. I'd been thinking about ways that I could spread more of God's love. I had been doing the work of those four questions, and so when that moment of discernment crystallized, I, I was at peace with what God was saying. Here's the thing, discerning the voice of God, it, it isn't necessarily easy, and it doesn't necessarily make the path ahead any easier either. It doesn't necessarily always come in crystal clear moments over Basbo's Pizza. It won't mean you won't face temptation and, and sin. But here's the good news. Discerning the voice of God in your life, using these four questions and praying and letting God soak every moment in God's love and grace and direction will mean that God will lead you into holier living. It means that you'll open your life to get, let God lead you into experiences you, you may have never had if you didn't listen to God's voice. It means that God will be able to work and use you to transform your lives and your family and others with the love of Jesus. I just invite us to use these four questions in big decisions and in small decisions and, and just let, let God's voice guide us as we seek to walk with more people toward a transforming relationship in the love of Jesus. Amen.